You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I'm Vicky Maguire. I'm an education and leadership coach working with school leaders to support them to improve their own well-being and that of all their staff. I also run group coaching programs for women leaders and have set up the Women Lead Well coaching network to provide a supportive network for female school leaders, which is something that I really feel like I missed out on as a leader in schools, whether that was in my role as head of English or assistant head or deputy head, I would have really appreciated being able to be part of a supportive network just so I could go and have a space where I could listen to other people and what their experiences, share my own experiences, use people as a sounding board. Um, It would have been really great. So I have set that up to help to support the well-being of women leaders in schools. And at the moment, I am offering 50% off for anyone who signs up um, via the email address. So you can email me at vicky at womenleadwell.co.uk. And there are still a couple of discounts, discounted places available. So if you get in touch with me as soon as possible, we can get you in the network and get you enjoying all of the things that the network offers, which is we do a group coaching call once every month. Last night we looked at challenging conversations and it was a great session with so many experiences shared and ideas for how you can approach those challenging conversations, which we're going to call curious conversations from now on. And there is also a monthly coach's couch where you can bring an issue and be coached um, in a supportive environment. And then we discuss afterwards the coaching that's taken place. Um, there will be a month, uh, not a monthly, a yearly conference that you will be able to access. And we also have a community group on the Podia platform just for discussions or if you want some advice, you just see, you want to ask a question, you're just wondering about something. That's a place where we just share ideas and have conversations. So I would love for you to join the network. Like I said, email at vicky at womenleadwell.co.uk to join for a 50% discount. You can also join the Facebook group for free. I would love you to join that. So if you just find us on Facebook at We Lead Well, I'd really love for you to join our Facebook group. Today on the show, I've got Andrew Cowley. Andrew's an expert on wellbeing in schools. He has set up the at Healthy Toolkit Twitter account, where you can find lots of tips and advice on well-being, that's your own, and how you can improve well-being in your school. And he's written countless blogs that you can find at healthyteachertoolkit.wordpress.com. And they're about all sorts of things. There's a great one on there about the uh, government's new well-being charter for schools that summarizes the document brilliantly and gives a really great overview of what that charter consists of. He's also written two books. He's written the well-being toolkit and the well-being curriculum. So he really does know what he's talking about when it comes to well-being. Enjoy the interview. Andrew Cowley, welcome to the We Lead Well podcast. How are you today? Thank you, Vicky. It's it's a beautiful morning of the day we record and uh, uh, all is well, all is well with the world. Excellent. It's been, I don't know about you, but it's been raining here for days and this morning I can look out the window here and there is a blue sky. So it's, it's been really nice to get out and walk the dog this morning in the sunshine. So can you start off by just giving the listeners an introduction to yourself, what you do, what you've done, and where you are now? Well, so I'm, I'm Andrew Kelly. I'm um, I'm a former deputy head teacher in, in primary. I was involved in teaching for 28 years. Uh, I taught right across the the primary age range from reception up to year six. Um, I was deputy head teacher for eight years. 
Uh, and, and I think that sounds part of um, the way I considered uh, the way I would be a, a leader in school. I'm very interested in, in what we now call well-being. I was very aware at the time that probably wasn't calling it that. Um, my, my, my passion for well-being has grown through uh, through my use of social media and the contacts I've made on there. Uh, we've founded four of us a group called Healthy Toolkit five years ago, uh, and the blog for that, which I wrote, actually became a basis of uh, some writing, uh, and I was very lucky to be approached by Bloomsbury Education and asked to write a book on well-being leadership. Uh, and that became uh, the Wellbeing Toolkit, which was published in May 2019. Um, and since then, that's given me a bit more of an appetite for, for writing. And uh, just in the last uh, few weeks, I am now an author a second time with the uh, the book, The Wellbeing Curriculum, which is actually aimed at two children in the primary schools. We lost you for a second there. We've got quite a, I think it's quite a, I don't know what you call it. I'm thinking delicate connection, but that's not, that's not the right word, but we'll carry on anyway. So um, in your, in, let, let's get to the sort of to the crux of things straight away, because in your book, you say that well-being is an abstract concept. And I totally agree with you. It is, it's, it's nebula, isn't it? There are so many different aspects to it. So how do we go about pinning it down and describing exactly what it is so that people can understand it? Um, that's a good question. Well-being, well-being <laughs> is abstract because um, it, it is something that impacts upon everyone every day and in, in every aspect of every day. Um, and I think there has been a feeling in, in certain workplaces, it isn't just the schools, that, that well-being can be addressed with some mindfulness activities and meditation and perhaps some cake on the start print table. Um, but that's not well, what well-being looks like because not everyone uh, wants to partake in those particular things. Well-being, individual well-being is, is unique and for everyone who wants to, and meditate there'll be someone else who wants to uh, go and do a five mile run or yeah. run up a mountain or dive in uh, dive in a freezing cold pond or equally go to the pub and have uh, have a couple of pints and a and a, and a, and a nice meal because uh, well being looks very different for everyone um but in terms of, of, of a school and and developing that as a leadership issue uh i think the key issue is being strategic because as a leader, what you were interested in is making sure your staff are well and they're able to thrive professionally and are able to survive in the classroom through a week, through the whole term, for the whole year without feeling unwell, burnt out and under unnecessary stress. Yeah. I think what you say there about it being strategic is really important. You have to have some, you have to have some clarity in the direction that you're going with your well-being, don't you? You have to have a vision for what well-being looks like in your school. How would you suggest, as school leaders, they create that vision and involve staff in it? Yeah, that's an interesting question about um, about, about strategy. Um, it needs to be more than just a sort of um, an empty statement. Um, schools have mission statements and um, sometimes three or four word statements which are up on displays and um, on the website saying what they, what they aspire to be. As aspire often appears in, in there. Um, but there needs to be meaning behind that and, and the whole school community uh, children, parents and staff need to, to know what that means uh, in order to fit well-being within that broader agenda. So if you are going to aspire, uh, aspiration is not just academic achievements. Uh, aspiration is also making our children into good citizens uh, and well-being as a life skill is part of that um, 
well-being for children and staff needs to absolutely sit together because if you've got staff who are stressed you're not going to get them working to the absolute best they should be with their children uh, and ch children are cute children pick up on on signs and uh, particularly in the primary sector they're going to go home and say Mr. So-and-so, Mr. So-and-so wouldn't they sell today, they didn't seem well, they were a bit cross, they're a bit grumpy. Uh, and they'll say that and parents pick up on that. And, um, and parents talk, you know, the parental WhatsApp group. Um, it's a very interesting uh, interaction, so I hear. Um, so that's, that's why it's important that we get that strategy in place and that it's clear to the whole school community that wellbeing is important. Uh, and that we will plan ahead for um, for what might happen with absences. You're going to get absences, but trying to minimise the possibility of that happening. Um, creates a stressful environment. You don't have a strategy for well-being. Uh, try and minimise that stress with how you plan for your school year, which is the uh, probably at the core of the stresses that we, we give our teachers, then uh, you're in a better position. It's interesting, um, a couple of things that you say there. Um, first one is including the whole school community in your wellbeing policy or your wellbeing, I suppose, vision and statement. Because I don't think a lot of schools have seen it that way in the past that it's about the the leaders the teachers support staff or non-teaching staff whatever they like to be called or um parents and the pupils and it's about everybody in that community understanding what well-being looks like isn't it and being able to to recognize that it's funny that I was I read a tweet yesterday on Twitter a primary teacher had said one of the one of her class had said to her are you okay miss and she'd said yes yes I'm, I'm okay she'd only normally you're very smiley and I can see your eyes twinkling but today mm. you your, your eyes look dull <laughs> and it was it was just a, like a, a thing that a child had said to her it's, it's amazing I, I sort of never thought of it like that either that children recognize recognize that staff aren't well or are yeah. under pressure too don't they and then they can start feeling under pressure or they're worried about their teacher so it is a much broader picture than just within your school building isn't it it, it is that, that's that's actually why you need to 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 involve everyone um you know, our, ch children are our, our raised on detra um educating them and as i said for education it's not just examination results it's what they're like as as people as they emerge from one stage to the next as a primary school teacher i was very proud of my year six children who showed the very best attention to each other uh, as well as to themselves and what is is always a difficult bit of transition um you know there are some people who hated going into a year six classroom because they thought they had a bit of attitude and it, <laughs> my, my my words words no, so it's not actually the, the, the growing up They've got that feeling of independence. Some of them feel that they're ready to go, and that's just the way they express they express themselves. You know, that's yeah. fine as fine as young people, just because they're a bit grumpy <laughs> or uh, or uh, forget their manners once or twice doesn't mean that they're uh, they're uh, there's something wrong. Yeah. It's just the way they're expressing themselves. Yeah. So I think that that tweet. It, it reminded me of the fact that you know teaching is a particularly stressful job and I think recently you know I thought things might get back to normal whatever normal is and, and I feel like things are far from it and that teachers are under possibly more strain than they ever have been and that that just it made me worried when I read that tweet about the teacher who's there's something there that person is feeling overwhelmed with something or and the mental health of staff is a real concern for me right now. I think a lot of staff are on the edge of that, you know, that pressure, moving from pressure to stress or from stress to burnout. And um, I don't think the pressure is easing 
uh, at the minute. So what can schools do to prioritise mental the mental health of their staff? Yeah, uh, well, there are some people that say that you know, a certain amount of stress, stress is always going to be there in, in, in any um, amount of life. Uh, and certainly within uh, any school routine, and schools are very much about routine, we're going to get periods where we, we need to do assessment, we need to plan for our lessons, we need to plan accordingly, we need to resource our lessons, and then going away from that as a part of the, uh, our, our day-to-day routine. Um, but we do need to, to think about how that we... Um, how we plan for how those are are dealt with. Um, so one thing uh, I always did, I was always in charge of uh, school diaries, deputy head. Uh, I really very much made sure that there were no clashes with those big events through the course of the year. Primary school teachers will know very well Christmas starts in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, planning for uh, plan, planning for Christmas plays and nativity. Etc. Uh, starts there, and that starts eating into other parts of, of the timetable. Um, it's to my mind there'd be absolutely zero point in putting the nativity in the same week as people are expected to upload their assessments because that's two big things together. Yeah. Um, putting a parents' evening alongside another big event again also is. Um, an unnecessary stress because a parent's evening, many primary teachers actually um, quite enjoy parents' evening, the chance to interact with parents that way, but they're long, they're long yeah. nights. Yeah. And I think in, in, a high, in a high school, you've got, <laughs> you've got five lots of parents' evenings to do and it's, a, it's mm. a big job to fit it all onto the calendar. I think it's important as well that when you're planning your calendar, you think about these things to make sure that they're, they're spread mm. out and there's not a, you know, things don't get on top of each other. But also as you're going through the year, when you notice things and someone says, this parents' evening has come at because it seemed to me we would plan our calendar we would say oh yeah we've made sure everything and then as the year went on you would get those pinch points where staff would say this has been too much we had to do this and we had to do that so it's about noting that down at the time and keeping a record as you go through the year of things that have happened this year that we must not allow to happen next year and when you're planning you look at the notes that you've made on all those different events and also that you try and get rid of anything that you can get rid of as well that you don't need on your calendar is important yeah so 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 much is is unnecessary um of what goes on and and i think another model that um we need to put in place you're going to bring in some new initiative which uh you know is quite a regular thing in schools what can you get rid of that is going to mean there isn't any additional work? Yeah. Obviously, bringing in anything new is going to involve some readjustment to routines that some people uh, are better than others at picking up new new things. But bringing in too much in the way of work is um, is essential. If I want to give a very specific example. It's on things like marking policies. Now, if you're going to bring in a new marking policy that involves using three or four different colour pens, uh, different kinds of symbols, um, expectation for feedback you give to the children, expectation children give feedback to you, that is a big sea change. Um, if something else isn't being taken away, then you are creating extra work because marking is, is a big part of, of school. Um, but then there also needs to be a thought process to, as to how useful that marking actually is. Yeah. Because it's great having these, these colours in, in, in the book and it looks, looks very pretty, but what's the actual meaning behind it? Yeah. Um, are children actually responding to a comment? And very often what I've seen is there's a comment written by a teacher and they've written almost as much as the children. Yeah. Uh, and you think about the amount of time that takes, particularly if you're trying to make sure you're following the, uh, the school handwriting policy. That's going to take time. That's going to eat into your time. And it's not going to leave you time for other things that you need to do professionally, yeah. but also not forgetting what you need to do personally as well. I think the key thing is about it's actually thinking before you implement something new. 
and first of all think about the impact what's the impact going to be of this new thing is it going to have an impact and secondly mm. how can we keep things balanced it's like keeping the scales balanced isn't it so that you make sure that you're not sort of tipping the scale over on one side with the amount that you're expecting staff to do and that's really difficult because it's a busy job isn't it this is the this is the, it's like the eternal question you can reduce workload but you can't reduce it completely and teachers yeah. in my opinion teachers teach too much really they mm. could do with teaching less but i can't see that changing anytime soon and it's yeah. a conundrum yeah and there's a difference between work and workload as well and sometimes we do create extra work and, and if we actually to take from an example um one thing i did uh in in a, a previous school uh, i was in english lead for a, a long time uh, and i was there uh, i was actually appointed to that position when the literacy hour the national literacy strategy was brought in um so i was involved in leading that but part, part of what i had to do was uh device planning um and I actually devised what was quite a, a minimal uh, planning document uh, to help teachers plan out a whole week of lessons and activities. So we managed to fit it all onto one page. Um, those were the days when people still wrote plans, then it became yeah. electronic. Uh, obviously, I became a little bit larger because um, um, typing, it's in a slightly different size font. Uh, but it's also kept that quite minimal as far as, as possible. Um, now, when the time came for me to, to pass on that position, because I was uh, then in a more senior role and was doing other things, the uh, person that followed me um, devised a new planning format and then introduced it to staff meeting. And there was an awful lot more on the page. And I said, um, how many words are there in this, in this planning document? And the answer was 3,000. Woo! 3,000 words uh, in a planning document for a week. Now, in my first book, I had 62,000 words, and that took me six months to write. So why are we asking teachers to write a 3,000-word plan for a lesson that is for them to teach? Yeah. This this is something that I, I don't understand, but I mean, I'm a, I'm a secondary school teacher, but I know that in a number of primary schools still, teachers are expected to hand in their planning mm. weekly. I, I interviewed Phil Sharrock. It makes him angry when he thinks about this. He gets, he gets really worked up about it. But I always think, you know, you could write anything you wanted to on that document. You could write the best lessons ever and you could look at it and go wow these lessons are going to be brilliant and then you could not actually be teaching it you know yeah. it's not I, I just don't see the point in I don't, I, there are probably quite a few primarily primary leaders listening and I'd be really interested you know tweet me and tell me what the point of having to hand in weekly planning is yeah rather than taking a teacher's time yeah it does it, it takes it too much time um it's also about control uh, which I think power uh, over. <laughs> it's also about also about trust. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of the examples that came to me when I wrote my wrote the first book, I asked people about planning, and uh, there was one person that said um, we're expected to email our plans to senior leadership by seven pm on a Saturday. Wow! They will come back to us by 5 p.m. with any amendments that need to be done on Sunday. And we expect to spend Sunday night making those amendments. Wow, that's yeah. shocking. <laughs> um, I've heard similar forms from elsewhere. I mean, that's just taking up your time elsewhere. And, and, and why? Ooh. Why? Is the senior leadership coming in actually teaching that lesson? And the answer is no, they're not. Um, you don't need extensive plans. Inspectors don't look at extensive plans. Uh, an example I, I remember very well from uh, you know, a number of years ago, uh, I had a student teacher in my class and um, one of my colleagues had, um, was just pregnant and uh, was off with um, morning sickness. Uh, 
and her, the plans that she left were literally a post-it note which had been sent in by her husband and I'd take the class. There was enough detail on that for me to come and take that class because I was a year five teacher at the time, that was a year one class. Yeah. There was enough there for me to pick up and run with. It didn't need any more. Yeah. And she came out of the class and had the lessons they should have done from a different teacher in a different style. But they had their learning still going on and everything was up to date. So that begs the question, why do you need extensive planning that's going to yeah. take up time? And that's... So that's just, we trust it. That's like we were talking about a moment ago, isn't it? If you really go back to the basics and think, what? let's have a look at all the things that we expect our staff to do and let's measure, let's, I suppose, scale the impact from one to 10 in terms of how much impact that has on the pupils' outcomes and learning. Actually, writing down a plan has very little impact. You know, if it's in, if it's mm-hmm. in a bigger scheme and curriculum that you've got and you've got a plan you don't need you don't need all that extra time and it's really important that school leaders undertake activities like that to assess where they're up to in yeah. terms of what they're asking staff to do with regard to workload isn't it yeah. before we find out more about how you can address workload issues in your school i'd like to tell you a little bit about our partner head teacher chat head teacher chat discusses lots of topics from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Headteacher Chat is to support headteachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first School Leader Planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www.headteacherchat.com. Head Teacher Chat. It's what head teachers are talking about. Now let's get back to the interview. I mean, so to my mind, uh, it was always a case of if... Um... Yeah, you know, I want my, don't want teachers planning. I want them actually make sure the lessons are resourced. They've got everything they need, uh, and if they're prepared, if they're spending their time planning, they're not going to be spending their time resourcing. And it's it's, it's resourcing those children's needs that are far more important. Yeah, yeah. I, it sounds when you describe the school where they have to have their plans in by seven on a Saturday and then they'll get them back by five on a Sunday. It's how, that's a really toxic environment to be working in, isn't it? And it is think, absolutely, you know, uh, that, and also that's, that's what I didn't hear back is how SLT felt about that because I mean, it wasn't the, it wasn't the head. It, wasn't, it must've been, um, it, it was a secondary school, but you know, department leads, uh, year group leaders must've been, um, involved in that and again how does that make them feel because does that make them the bad guys as it were yeah because something else that also comes up often through teacher social media is slt is seen as the bad guy slt are all evil well um they're not no (laughs) i wasn't evil (laughs) (laughs) yeah some some can be if they're lacking empathy with, uh, with colleagues but um yeah, but they've been there. They've been on the front line themselves, uh, and being removed. Um, How does that make them look? That's interesting. I think um, what one of the things that comes up often um, when I'm doing coaching or in the group coaching that I do is that there are a number of teachers working in toxic schools, and they feel very trapped. In those schools, some people have even been in one toxic school, wanted to get out, gone into another school, and found that that's been toxic as well. I think you, I think you write about this in your book, don't you? Um, that a lot of the people who responded to your survey seem to work in these toxic environments. What? This is a, a big question. What do you think causes it, and what can teachers do about it? Um, well, we are in a, a high stakes environment. Mm. Um, we're looking at 
results, results depend drive everything, as does inspection and, and, and it's high stakes inspection as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't argue for one minute that we need to get rid of, uh, of examinations in any way, although in primary sector, I do feel SATs are um, not the best way of uh, saying where children are, particularly as they're that the grades are expected or not expected, basically, if you want yeah. to bring it bring it down to the very basics, um, which you know are unhelpful phrases in terms of where the children are, but also in terms of the children's well-being. Um, yeah, high stakes inspection as as well. And what I often hear is are phrases like offset are in the area or yeah. offset in you. Uh, and also being used the word to, to um, scare uh, teachers with. Um, and I've been through five Ofsted inspections. Um, Ofsted inspectors are, are, are people, and uh, very often they are they're reasonable. But we shouldn't be scaring people with uh, with the O word. Um, but Ofsted is is two days every three to five years, or if you've been in an outstanding school, two days, 12 years ago. Um, but uh, as a word to try and scare teachers with, that's that's not appropriate. Uh, I do think there's a huge fear factor. Um, also, the approach that the inspector has taken has not been the most positive. Um, they weren't around their absence during the pandemic, but now they're back. Full inspections are going on at a time that teachers are still off with, with infection. Children are off. And that's an additional burden that people simply don't need right now. Yeah. I think as well, as well as the, the Ofsted word, I think staff are, I think school leaders use other other ways to make staff work work harder or work better or to 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 create that sense of of fear in them oh we must do this because of this and that I think that links into what you're talking about or what you what strongly comes through in your book is the idea of values because your values and your purpose are things that can drive you. And in those toxic schools, I think a lot of the leadership teams have got it wrong. They think that a stick using Ofsted or whatever other method it is that they're using to drive their staff, that's external, that's, you know, someone's coming in to test us on this or to, you know, we're going to be challenged on it. So you have to do it because if you don't, then this is the consequence. If you go right back to values and purpose, you flip the coin, don't you? And you look at it from a different perspective. So can you tell me sort of why you think values are so important to well-being for staff? Um, values are what we we lead our, our lives by. And everyone has different values because everyone is an individual. Uh, and for some people, we'll have a much higher value on something like uh, respect than others would do or kindness but if you truly authentically lead your life with, with values you are consistent and consistent in the way that you behave and approach uh, other people and tasks uh, and having good values means people know exactly where they stand with you. Uh, if your values are inconsistent, that is when your decision-making becomes inconsistent and you are more likely to make seat-in-pants decisions or uh, sticking plaster approaches to, um, to, to more um, meaningful, meaningful issues. Um, I, I, I spoke at the beginning about uh, things like staff absence uh, and what causes that. Uh, if, if someone has uh, has been off because of stress and stress caused by an issue of the school leadership, 
and the way that they're conducting themselves. The, the issue is not the sticking plaster of let's fix that bit of stress for that person. The value needs to go back to what's causing that in the first place. Are other people being caused a similar amount of stress, although it's not manifesting itself in an absence? Are they keeping things in? For example, I don't know, that's, that's, that's why uh, values are important. Uh, and I do, I, I, I've said in, in, in both pieces of writing, I'm um, very influenced by the work of Dr. Neil Hawkes, values-based education, um, which I think is, is absolutely essential within, within a, a school to have that and, and determine what your school values are. And that shows with the individual values of your, of your staff. And actually think about the way you're introducing it and simply sort of sweeping away values that were there in school to start with and replacing with something new that yeah, might look good. But does that actually mean that those values are in place or is it just simply we don't agree with what was there before? I think that's a really that's a really key issue for me because in a lot of schools they've got lots of words that link to values like respect I think you were saying aspire before weren't you achieve or all these different words and actually have staff had time to really think about what those words or what those values mean in this school have staff been involved in the development of those and, and the identification of those shared values because if they've not then those words they're just meaningless and you've talked a few times as well about things being meaningful and that's mm. about staff understanding what the purpose of our school is isn't it what values do we share in this school and yeah. how will we work together to promote well-being amongst ourselves as staff and amongst the the pupils and unless there's a shared understanding and a shared creation of those values they're just meaningless words aren't they they are, they are. And what time, so what I actually did in, in my school when we introduced families based education was um, we determined that as, as a staff, uh, what we thought were our key values. Uh, and we had, we came quite quite a few. Uh, some of them were, were, were repeated and some of them were just a slight uh, variation on the words. But we came up with, with a series of core values. What we, we did with those was to... Um, not just simply having a statement to actually make them meaningful. So what we would do is have a focus value for each month of the year. It doesn't mean we forgot about the others, but each month would have a focus. Uh, and that would be introduced with a whole school assembly which staff and children were in attendance. That would be led by me and big examples of things. There would be quotes from the children involved in that, quotes from the staff. Teachers would follow that up with at least one lesson, if not more, during the course of the rest of the month. Uh, and then we'd try and make sure beyond that that the value was actually lived out in the language that was used. So honesty, for example, um, if there was an incident on the playground, uh, we'd ask children to explain what happened. Thank you for your honesty. That's our value for the month. Well done for doing that. Um, and then to, to give it real meaning, what the children would do, we'd ask them to look out for who was leading that in the class. Uh, and then they would choose the assembly at the end of the month, or a rewards assembly. So they would take ownership of, um, they would choose somebody who was living that value. So that would be award awarded by the class, not by the teacher, not by the teaching assistant. The children would choose the award for who led the value honesty or love yeah. I, lo- I, I, I really love that idea of exploring values and what they mean what they mean in practice and how you can live those values and I think it's something when I do my group coaching and when I do one-to-one coaching I always start with values you know getting the person to identify what their values are and it's always a really powerful activity mm. for them to do and I think there's probably not enough of that in schools at the minute. So it's definitely something I, I would be advocating schools use. Now, one of the things that you said is, um, I'm interested in this because you talk about well-being in many schools being reactive. Mm. 
yeah. and you mentioned the sticking plaster a moment ago yeah. and I think that's an example that you use rather than being proactive and I wonder if you can explain what you mean by that because obviously you think if schools are proactive in terms of well-being then this is a much better approach than being reactive yeah yeah so if um by, by being reactive I meant uh, obviously act, acting after something has happened that has been some kind of is if it, you know, if somebody's off for some reason that that's a, that's a reactive thing. If you're proactive and you're anticipating what might happen uh, if we can put the right things in place. So, for example, planning out the diary is absolutely essential. Um, but also thinking about uh, the relationships within the school because um, ultimately well-being is down to relationships and, and culture. The culture is what you create as a school leader. The relationships you will sometimes need to be proactive in intervening with those because people being people they're not always going to get on some are not going to like each other um now they might just get on professionally but they might some kind of fall out we, we don't want that because that that adds to a toxicity in a workplace if somebody's got a fallout so it's absolutely essential that you know your staff uh, yeah and by knowing yourself it's not just you know knowing saying good, yeah, good morning uh or how are you but actually having the ability to have something to converse with um one thing i'll say it's quite frequently when i'm doing uh, doing cpd sessions is could you tell everyone else the name of your colleagues spouse or partner can you say how many children they've got can you tell me if they've yeah. got the dog can you tell me if they're vegetarian can you tell me where they went on holiday uh you know they're not important things in terms of schooling but they are important in terms of knowing somebody because it gives you a point conversation uh and it gives you a point to converse with somebody about something that isn't school yeah and that's that will that conversation enables the um, discourse that isn't just professional it gives those personal links and it enables those relationships to build and strengthen in the school one, one of the things that just came up just, just came to my mind then was a one-to-one coaching session that I had where we were exploring um, some of the things that were happening that were causing issues in the school and one of them was the number of supply issues and the the cost to the, the supply was costing too much. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we worked through and that the, the person I was working with came up with is um, the idea of risk management and how we apply that to the well-being of our staff. So being aware of your staff and thinking about is are there any members of staff this year who are at risk of potentially being sick going off sick or Mm. having a long-term absence and thinking about what they might be and then thinking about how you can put things in place to address those things so for example um if you have a member of staff who is diabetic or whatever you might think about how you how you would go about supporting that member of staff to live a healthy lifestyle and that might be something like we won't put chocolate this this is just uh i'm not saying this is what you should do i'm just trying yeah. to think of an ex- of an example of what you might do so you don't put cakes or, or, or chocolate in the staff room mm. because you've got a member of staff who's who's diabetic or whatever and you do so you think about it's about when you're being proactive you're thinking about the things that might come up and then how mm. you can keep all your staff well in terms of their mental health because a lot of the things we talk about with workload and stress is mental health but well-being is about physical health as well isn't it and keeping our staff in Mm. school so that we've got healthy members of staff in front of our classes and we can get that the thing that you talked about that really struck me is consistency having consistency and that's what well-being is about it's about being able to create that environment of consistency in your school isn't it and and that covers so many different angles of well-being in terms of the way that you behave with staff the way you follow your values the way that you implement your well-being strategies the way that you address 
workload issues, measure the impact, take one on, take one off, and, and how you keep all that consistent, but how you plan for it and how you think about what might happen this coming year or in the next two years that might impact on the well-being of our staff. And let's think about how we can put measures in place and be proactive to try to reduce the likelihood of those things happening. Exactly. Yeah. You're thinking, really, really thinking ahead uh, yeah, as to what could happen. Again, I mean, knowing your staff, yeah, I made the point some people adapt well to change, some people don't. Knowing who, need, who might need that support. Uh, and if you're going to introduce some kind of new initiative, I mean, often involving uh, uh, IT, for example, and some people can 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 get get something straight away, and some people uh, can't. Yeah, <laughs> they I find it very of, difficult. One of the things I, I introduce with everyone is Google Classroom, uh, which I, when I used that, I loved it. But some people just found that really tricky tricky to use they, they, yeah. they, they couldn't, get, couldn't get to grips with the tech with the technology they couldn't get to grips with uh setting the work or come or setting work for one child or setting work for a whole class um where someone just pick it up with the instruction someone just read the instructions and do it but someone would actually need you to do it with them or or um, or some cases for them yeah um, just as an example of that, and that's something that's very, uh, very relevant to pandemic teaching. Um, but it's essential that you you can think of specific examples like yes. that. In another coaching session I had, there was a similar issue. A, a key stage leader had come to the assistant head in the school saying, this member of staff is not doing the online learning and I'm really angry about it and I'm fed up of them and blah, blah, blah. And when the assistant head and I talked through what she needed to do, you know, she ended up, she went to see the person. The person said, I'm really, I'm really rubbish at it. I can't do it. And she was just so anxious about using the technology that she just decided she wasn't, she wasn't going to do it at all. And it just required the member of staff to go and say, what's happening? What's going on? You're a, you're a great teacher. It seems like you there's something going on here are you okay and all of a sudden the person starts so you're right it's about knowing your staff isn't it and and that's that's a really good approach to take instead of of criticizing people pulling people up for for minor points how can we support you which is actually much better language than this exactly language of coaching how can we support rather criticise yeah what do you need what help how can we help you and that's and that I think in terms of well-being that's a question you can ask all of your staff sit all of your staff from your school down in 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 your hall and say what can we do to help you to improve your well-being or maintain your well-being ask staff ask them what they want what they need and they will tell you the things that they need you might not be able to implement all those things but you'll be aware of it and you can address mm. it and you can can have an open dialogue with your staff. What I want to finish with is something that I found interesting and it sort of links to what we're saying, saying there about when you say to a member of staff, what can I do? How can I support you? What do you need? That comes from kindness and compassion. And if your values are kindness and compassion, yeah. you're, you're looking to find out what it is that's preventing that member of staff from doing their job to the best of their ability but you say there's a difference between being nice and you know because we're expecting people to use that technology you are going to have to use it because we're in a pandemic and the children are at home and you're in school so we need to find a way of interacting excuse me with the pupils so you have to do it so you Mm. can't just say when that person says, well, I, don't, I can't do it, I don't like it. Okay, well, you don't use it then. Everybody else has to. Like, yeah. you can't just be nice, but you can be kind and compassionate. Yeah, it is. That's, that's a big difference because um, I, I, I tell you, I do recount in the first book because I went to the London Mayor's Conference in 2017 and uh, it, the discussion was about retention and recruitment. And one, one of the teachers did say, it, it, genuinely, well, we were trying this and it's well-being, it's about being nice, isn't it? 
it's I didn't comment to them, but it's it, it's worth it is actually much more than, than that. It's, you know, it's compassion and empathy is the is what what it is. You're simply nice. Yeah, nothing wrong with being nice, but you could be taken advantage of. Yes. You know, you could end up you know doing nine nine or ten playground duties a week because someone else needs the time, but you know, that eats into your time then. And I think that is it that is an issue in some schools where if you are too nice, then you end up with you not you don't deal with some of the people who aren't up to, up to the expectations that you yeah. have and then other people in, in school that it can create a toxic environment because other people who are you know working at those expectations or beyond mm. become quite disillusioned and disenfranchised don't they yeah they feel quite and, frustrated and by can, that it, it can create resentment and it's sort of yeah feeling of um yeah, somebody's getting privileged treatment, for example. That's the, yeah, because because a leader's trying to be too nice, and yeah. we had a, I, I had a, I have set up a network for women leaders, um, a coaching network, and we have a monthly coaching call, and our coaching call was last night, and it was on challenging conversations, and one of the the breakout room conversations was about having expectations and even in a challenging conversation where you're trying to be empathetic and you're listening and you're trying to understand a person's issue or whatever it is has happened you still have to in that meeting have your boundaries you still have to set out your expectations clearly and that is kindness and compassion because it's helping someone to do their job more effectively and to be better at what they're doing would you agree with that Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you sort of need to have those, um, yeah, those difficult conversations or um, those famous books, fierce conversations, uh, which uh, some some people might might have read. Um, you know, so it sounds sort of slight, slightly passive aggressive title, but yeah. it actually, <laughs> it's like a challenging conversation. But it's, it's how you have that conversation, the language you use. Uh, I think if you used aggressive. Um, or even passive aggressive uh, terminology with it, that you would make someone go away feeling down from it. Yeah. But you can challenge by using appropriate ones. Again, coming back to the how can you be held uh, and sort of mutual agreements of targets and that, not what to come back with is much more supportive. Yeah. Yeah, still having those expectations. Yeah. It's, in, it's interesting because. I think that's something that leaders struggle with is creating that balance because they want to be mm-hmm. a kind and supportive leader. But at the same time, like you were saying, they don't want to be a pushover or taken advantage yeah. of. And there's a, there's a fine line, but kindness and compassion is about having boundaries. It's about being very clear with people about what your boundaries are and what your expectations are. Mm-hmm. And when people don't meet those or when they overstep, you know the boundaries that you address that and that you don't like you're saying you don't become passive aggressive about it you're actually it's kind to have a conversation in which you are honest and open and explain what's happening and try to come to some agreed solution yeah yeah I I do feel that leadership courses should have a module on on empathy kindness well-being uh, you know, I did um, I did an MPQ uh, to leadership and uh, it's all about accountability and uh, leadership styles which are great there's nothing about looking after your staff well interestingly in the new suite of MPQs I'm um, a leadership performance coach for the new MPQ SL and we're just doing some practice activities for it and one of the uh, documents that we have to read is leading with love and it's uh, mm-hmm. from an academy CEO. So there is that actually values and there's a module on culture and ethos as well. So it is actually, it's coming, it's coming That's through. Good, into, coming in, and I yeah. think because of, it, it has to, because all of the research out there suggests that staff who are well mentally and physically make better teachers and teaching is the key thing that leads to pupil improvement. So if you look after your staff and you keep them well, mentally and physically, and and make sure that they can do their job confidently and well, 
that's the way to achieve outcomes. You can have all your, your like leadership styles are important and leadership is important, don't get me wrong. But unless you've got the solid foundations of your culture, your values, your ethos, and a real focus on staff well-being, you will not improve outcomes, no matter how many initiatives you put in place, in my view. Exactly. <laughs> Add the caveat there. Thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. It's been a really, you, really great conversation. Lots, I think lots of things to take away. Do you want to just say again um, what your books are and where people can... Uh, we were talking yeah, before... Yeah, they can, but, <laughs> where they yeah, can both, purchase both my books are published by Bloomsbury Education. So we've got the Wellbeing Toolkit which is for um, sustaining, supporting and enabling staff. And then the wellbeing curriculum, uh, embedding children's wellbeing primary schools, subtitle. And uh, so both are available uh, direct from Bloomsbury Education uh, or other, other online suppliers are available. And people can read, there's a great blog that you've done and I didn't get a chance to ask the question. I always run oh, yes, time. the um, Healthy uh, Toolkit blog. Yes, and you've done a blog, haven't you, about the um, the education staff wellbeing charter, and it's really yes. I, oh, I would direct several of those that. on. Um, uh, is that that? Yeah, I have written several several for the education support partnership going back in the past, but yeah, the um, the, the, the recent charter yes i will do i'll highlight that again on on twitter yeah that that would um, be really good because i think i've had a lot of people coming to me saying what do you know about the charter and is yeah. there a summary of it somewhere and i think yeah, your it's document... on the, that's on the, the on our healthy toolkit blog yes uh, i can't remember where i posted it yeah it's it, it that was, is, that was it's, a little while ago it's it's <laughs> It's near. It's not too far down. If if people scroll down, they will they will find it. But I think that's a really useful document as well. So just to reiterate, that's the healthyteacher.wordpress.com. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, Twitter users go to at, at Healthy Toolkit and they'll find uh, the link in um, in the uh, the Twitter bio. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's been brilliant to talk to you. Thank you, Vicky, and. Uh, have a, good, have a good day. A big thank you to Andrew for that conversation then. There were some really useful ideas and information. I think there were a couple of things for me that came through really strongly. The first one is that the well-being activities or procedures that you put in place must be meaningful. They must be worthwhile. They must be things that are having an impact on the well-being of your staff. And the only way that you can check that is by asking your staff for feedback and that's really important and the other thing that Andrew mentioned is consistency there has to be consistency in everything that you do and you have to make sure that that consistency is sustained over a period of time you will not improve the well-being in your school within a half term or a term you have to commit to improving well-being and it has to be an ongoing process so that you can sustain it but you have to have consistency in whatever you do and those two things making it meaningful and being consistent with it are two really important things to take away from today's show that's just about all we've got time for today thank you so much for joining me again i've had some great feedback on the show and how people have used it and how it's implement how they've implemented some of the ideas in their own practice so it's great to hear um i would love you if you could to do a review on itunes please give us five stars and I would love you to join the We Lead Well group on Facebook where you can join in a conversation about well-being, about the things that you've learned about on the show and how you've implemented them. That would be great. If you are interested in the Women Leader Group coaching programme, you can email me at vicky at womenleadwell.co.uk and we can arrange to have a chat where I can take you through some of the benefits of that course and how it's structured and what you would gain from doing that course and the feedback that I've had so far from all of the women who've done the program is that it's been transformational for them so it is a really great program to be involved in and if you would like to join the network there is still a 50% discount if you email me at that same email address vicky at 
womenleadwell.co.uk. I would love you to join the network. It's a great place to be. It's a great place to network and get support from other women in leadership positions in schools. And it's a great way to improve your well-being, just to give you that reassurance that you're not alone, that there are lots of other women leaders out there who are experiencing the same things that you are. So thank you for joining us today. I look forward to speaking to you again next week on the show. Take care of yourself, take care of your staff and lead well. This episode of the We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchats.com and the Teach Well Alliance.